Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. Wow, what an amazing, incredible sixth anniversary celebration we had last week. If you missed it, you missed it. Uh, My prayer was that we wouldn't get lost in the celebration of everyday church or the celebration of us. I didn't want it to be about everyday church. I wanted Jesus to be glorified. And I think that we accomplished that. Of course, we got the customary congratulations and all of the things and the text and all of the comments and all of this stuff. But by and large, especially if you were in the room, what I heard was things like this. I just sensed God's presence or God ministered to me through that song or God ministered to me through that word. And that makes me very grateful because people weren't saying, oh, you did a great job or the worship team did a good job, or this message was great. Again, we heard some of that, but what I heard mostly was people glorifying God. And that was our heart and our desire for the whole thing was that he would be lifted up. If we could echo the words of John in our lives all of the time, that he must become greater and we must become less. It was an incredible day. Thank you so much for participating. Thank you to our amazing teams for facilitating such an incredible crowd. Man, uh, people joined us from Renuevo de Paz. You guys are simply the best, and I couldn't be more proud uh, to be the pastor with my wife of Everyday Church. All right, our theme for the year is love your neighbor. And uh, side note, how awesome was it when we were able to give that check for $5,000 to Renuevo? <clears throat> thank you. Thank you for, uh, for your generosity. Um, As we moved into this location, I know that there was some fear and uneasiness, especially on their part. And we're still learning how to navigate being, quote unquote, landlords, what all of that entails. We're learning how to share space. We come in and the drums are different for the for their drummer and we got to move things and we're all navigating what that looks like. We're learning how to share our toys. Uh, But I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God has just linked us together with such a powerful, anointed a man of God like Pastor Samuel, who wasn't here last week because he was sick, but just so excited for that. I'm glad that God has given us an opportunity to partner with them to help reach the Hispanic community around us. Um, <clears throat> all right, so we've been looking at the words of Jesus, Matthew 22, beginning in verse 35. I'm sorry, my voice is toast already. <clears throat> it says this, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I know I've been saying this every week, but it's important that we understand this because it's foundational. All of the law, all of the prophets, all of the do's, all of the don'ts, all of the promises hang on these two commandments. Everything we do as Christ followers hinges on whether or not we do these two things well. Loving God and loving people. And we said all along, while loving our neighbor is our theme for the year, we haven't been able to start there. We're going to get there, but we're not there yet because we can't effectively, properly, or biblically love our neighbor if we don't first love God. 
I'm not going to recap all five weeks of this series. I'd encourage you to catch up on YouTube or the podcast if you miss some of it. Even though we have this command to love God, many of us, if we're honest, don't truly love God the way that we should. It was even a struggle for some of you in that moment to just say, I love you, Jesus, or I love you, Father, or, I love you, God. Like, I'm pulling on you, right? And you're like, what is this guy? What's the, let's just go. Let's move on. And I'm pulling, I'm pulling. And you're like, I don't want to say that. Because there's, there's a difficulty in our hearts sometimes. As I shared a couple of months ago, there was a time in my life where I wasn't sure I loved God. I went to church. I was even in ministry. I would, but to say the words, I love you, God, or especially I love you, Father, felt terribly awkward. And if I'm honest, it still feels awkward at times to refer to God as my Father. I mean, there's a whole segment of Christianity that refers to God as Daddy or Daddy God. We've all seen the memes and the parodies, and while there's certainly some humor in the way that that is portrayed, there's an element of intimacy that some of those folk have with the Father that many of us don't. Because we often approach, we often don't approach God as our father and we certainly don't approach him as our dad. For whatever reason, it's easier for us to engage in love for Jesus, but it's infinitely more difficult to say, I love you, father. Yet that's how Jesus described and depicted God. Jesus called him our father. Even our prayers have begun to drift from the biblical model. When I grew up, my grandpa began every prayer this way. Our most gracious, dear Heavenly Father, we come down before thee this day. Every prayer I ever heard him pray had those words in it. Our most gracious, dear Heavenly Father, we come down before thee this day. Or we bow down before thee this day. He only had a third grade education, but he had an understanding that we were to pray to the Father. I've noticed myself praying things like, dear God, instead of Father, or dear God, instead of Heavenly Father. And I'm trying to correct that, if for no other reason, so that our younger boys will have a basic understanding that God is our Father. They need to hear their dad calling on his Heavenly Dad for help. Look at the words of Jesus in John chapter 16. He says, verse 23, he says, in that day, you no longer ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves, Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And I believe that I have came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Jesus says, ask the Father in His name. Verse 26 is particularly interesting. He says, I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. In other words, ask the Father yourself. Tell Him I sent you. If you're new to the Christian faith, this is why we use language like in Jesus' name all of the time. We're praying to the Father with the authority of the name of Jesus. For those who don't know, we have five and six-year-old little boys. Emmett is five. He's wild, loud, and proud. Bennett is six. He's cautious, clean-cut, buttoned up, doesn't want to break the rules. They are as different as night and day. But one thing they share in common is neither of them wants to be told what to do by the other one. And so if Emmett, if Emmett our five-year-old, went to Bennett and said, clean up your toys, Bennett would most certainly ignore that request. But if Emmett went in and said to dad, I mean, said, said to Bennett, hey, dad said, clean up your toys. Bennett would begin the cleaning process. The same person said it. The instruction was the same. What was different? 
Emmett would be using the authority of my name to get Bennett to respond. Similarly, if Bennett went to Emmett and said, Dad said, clean up your toys, what do you think would happen? Nothing, because (laughs) he probably still wouldn't do it. (laughs) The point is we have authority in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to make this into some kind of legalistic ritual. I'm not saying that if you begin your prayers with dear God or dear Jesus, that you won't be heard. The deeper issue is, is that this is a revealer. The way we pray is a revealer of the posture of our heart. How do we approach God? Is he some distant figure that can only be called upon in our time of need? And maybe if we've been good enough or served enough or given enough money away, he'll answer. Or do we simply view him as our father? More specifically, do we view him as our dad? So what does this have to do with anything? Remember, we're talking about loving God. Last week, we looked at the words of John to help us answer this question, which was, why don't we love God? First John chapter 4 Beginning in verse 9, it says this, how, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we drop to verse 19 of the same chapter. It says, we love God or we love because he first loved us. The issue for many of us especially if we've been around church for a long time, is that we know about the love of God. We can quote the verses and we can try to encourage people. But few of us have truly experienced the love of God. And if we have experienced it, it was a very, very long time ago. Now, the next part's going to be a bit of a a review from last week. But some of my ADD folk told me that they had a hard time focusing anyway because I was speaking with an interpreter. So for those of you that fall into that category, this will be the first time you heard this. (laughs) Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption into sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. God is our father. In this context, Abba is actually a term that originated in the Aramaic. Abba is an informal term for father or daddy, and it was used affectionately by children when addressing their fathers. Abba conveys a sense of intimacy, a sense of trust, and a sense of closeness in the relationship between believers and God. Let's look at how Jesus prayed and addressed his father during the most stressful time of his life. In Mark chapter 14, this is the night that Jesus was betrayed. He knew that what came next was his brutal torture and crucifixion. Beginning in verse 32, it says this, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed to the, with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. We often think of Jesus as if he didn't feel stress or anxiety. Yes, he was God in the flesh, but he was also a man. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he did not, that he did not use his divinity to his own advantage, <coughs> Excuse me. But instead, he took on the nature of a human being and made himself a servant. 
So here's Jesus in the garden. He's about to be betrayed. And he tells Peter, James, and John in verse 34, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In other words, he said to them, I feel so overwhelmed right now that it feels like I'm going to die. Has anyone ever felt like that before? You're in good company because Jesus felt that way too. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus felt that way so that we don't have to. I said the good news of the gospel is that Jesus felt that way so that we don't have to. We don't have to live under constant fear and anxiety and worry. Those worries may come. The anxiety will come. But Jesus defeated them on our behalf. It says, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. In verse 36, he said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In his greatest time of need, with his greatest anxiety, Jesus didn't pray with formality. He simply asked his dad for help. Several years ago, there was a meme going around that said this. Religion says, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. But relationship says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. Understanding that our relationship with God as our father, or more intimately as our dad, is a major key in fully receiving God's love for us. Paul said that we've been adopted. In other words, we've been chosen by God to be his son or his daughter. But the opposite of being chosen is rejection. And I know we talked about this some last week. But instead of seeing ourselves as sons and daughters, instead of seeing ourselves as chosen, we often embrace a rejection mindset. And when we embrace rejection, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly, we cannot receive the fullness of God's love. And when there's something in our lives that's blocking us from receiving God's love, it makes it difficult for us to truly love God back. Again, we love Him because He first loved us. But if something is limiting us from fully receiving His love, then the way that we love God will also be limited. This is so significant because in order to fully love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, we have to fully receive His love for us. And part of receiving his love for us is understanding our positional relationship with him. He is our father. He is our dad. We've been adopted into the family. We were designed to have fulfilling relationships. We were designed by God to have connection. But instead of having great relationship with our heavenly father, many of us feel disconnected from God. And here's part of the reason why. Because the opposite of adoption or being chosen is rejection. So instead of embracing a spirit of adoption, we are bound by a spirit of rejection. And here's the dilemma. People who are trapped in rejection don't even realize that they're being held back because it's all they know. It's all they're accustomed to, so it just feels normal. Many of us have carried a spirit of rejection for so long, it's just part of who we are. And everything that happens in our lives is seen through the filter of rejection. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And so because of that, we often see the world in a distorted fashion. And many of you will know that I'm partially colorblind. I see colors, but not like you see them. Certain greens and grays and reds are particularly difficult for me. I see solid color better than gradient colors. And so these bluish greens and grayish browns, I have a hard time figuring out. Um, 
Blue is my favorite color. But because I struggle with red, I don't always recognize purple. If you're not tracking, if you mix blue and red together, it makes purple. And so when I see the purple, my mind doesn't see the red and I only see the blue. My eyes don't immediately register. Now, once someone points out a color to me, usually my wife, I can see it. So the other day, I bought a brand new pair of running shoes. We we're really trying to focus on our health in 2024. And so I wanted to get a nicer pair of running shoes. So I go to the running store and the sales rep was completely unhelpful. I told him what I wanted them for, no suggestions. I was sitting on the bench just Googling reviews on these different shoes that they had in the store. Finally, I make my decision and I buy a pair of shoes and they were a bluish gray with a kind of light blue trim and I really liked them. So I get them home and I proudly pull them out of the box to show Katie. And I don't remember what she said, but it was painfully clear that she did not approve of my choice. <clears throat> so I said, what's wrong with them? And she said, nothing. I'm just surprised that you got purple shoes. <laughs> I said, I thought they were blue. I have a purple stapler that I bought 25 years ago because I thought it was blue. I still use it. I didn't know it then, but I was seeing the purple stapler through a different lens. And that's what rejection does to us. It causes us to see things through a different filter. Someone offers us love and hospitality and we immediately see it through the, through the filter of rejection. We say, what's the catch? Because we're seeing through the filter of the last person who only wanted to be our friend because of what they could get from us. Someone gives us a genuine compliment and we're polite and say thank you, but inwardly we don't believe that they're being truthful. We heard the compliment through the lens or through the filter of rejection. The, the, the scenarios are endless of how we perceive and receive love. So what does this have to do with loving God? The way we relate to God is often the same way we relate to others. And because of rejection, we build up walls of quote unquote protection. We instinctively put up barriers to keep out any potential hurt and pain. But in reality, we're not building a fortress, we're building a prison. Sure, we may keep some people out. We might even eliminate some of the hurt. But what we're really missing out on far outweighs anything that we're being protected from. So because people have let us down, we instinctively believe that God will also let us down. That's how it's all connected. And when we find ourselves in a situation where we need to cry out to God instead of crying out to G as Jesus did, Abba, Father, instead of crying out to our dad, if you will, we try to handle things on our own because handling things on my own and failing is way better than trusting God and being let down. I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes it feels like when I need God the most is when he's the furthest away. Have you ever been through a season like that, feeling like God was far? The truth is, feeling like God is far from us is actually a good way to identify rejection in our lives. Author Mark De Jesus says this, The very nature of, rede of rejection is to cultivate a sense of distance in relationship. The story tells us is that God is far away when in reality He's very near. Remember what Jesus said about the devil in John chapter 8, verse 44. He said, you belong to your father, the devil. 
And you do not want to carry out your father's desires. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, the fact that we have these evil thoughts telling us that God isn't close or that God doesn't accept us or that God doesn't love us is proof that he's actually there. When we have thoughts that start with I and end with something negative, you can rest assured that that's not from God. It's a lie straight from hell. We talked about this a couple of years ago, but Satan often speaks in first person. And so when you have the thoughts going through your mind, I'm a, if it starts with I and ends with something negative, you know that the enemy is at work. I'm a failure. I'm a bad mother. I'm a bad father. I'm a terrible employee. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm unlovable. I'm a fill in the blank. It's like Satan is literally handing us a script. Only instead of, only instead of auditioning for a play, this is real life. He hands us the script and he says, here are your lines. Learn it and love it. Say it over and over again. I'll never be successful. I'll never get out of debt. I'm never going to find true love. I'm never going to be free from this addiction. I'm never going to make it. I'm destined for failure over and over and over again. We repeat the lines handed to us by the enemy. And these lies keep us from fully receiving God's love. And when we can't fully receive God's love, then we can't fully love him back. Because he first loved us. So God is offering us healing. He's saying to us today, I don't want to just be your God. I want to be your dad. We don't have time to get into how parental wounds affect the way we interact with God. But if you've had a difficult relationship with your parents, especially your father, it becomes extremely difficult to relate and trust God as your heavenly father. I know last week we had a powerful time at the altar. People received healing in their hearts. But I can tell you that this kind of healing, the healing that many of us need, isn't a one and done. We often carry the wounds of rejection from early in childhood. And then after 20, 30, 40 years of building our fortress, quote unquote, which is really a prison, it often takes a lot of time to tear it down. It requires renewing our mind, as Paul talked about. It requires thinking differently. It might require professional counseling. A few weeks ago, we talked about how we are made up of three parts. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. Soul, biblically speaking, is our mind, our will, and emotions. And we live in this world with our soul, all of those emotions in this body. So spirit, soul, body. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we spent a long time talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Our spirits are immediately made new. And of course, Jesus is there to heal our emotional and spiritual wounds. So while it can take years, oftentimes we take all of the hurt and pain that we've had for years. Sometimes it takes time to receive healing from those things. It often doesn't just disappear. Often we have to work process or contemplation. Contemplation and times of silence and times of processing and forgiveness 
for those who have hurt us. See, I think the church does often, does a good job of helping people spiritually, which is obviously what we're here for. But we stop short. Because if we're going to be fully healthy, we also have to address the hurts and the wounds of our soul. In other words, our mind, will, and emotions. We can't just pray and pretend that the pain doesn't exist. Maybe I'm rambling at this point. The point is when we fully accept the love of the Father, we will be able to fully love Him. 1 John 4, 19. We love because He first loved us. Our love is reciprocal in nature. Our ability to love others stems from the love that we have received from God, being fully and completely loved by God enables us to fully love others. And so while God does work, you know, I was in there early praying this morning and just thinking, it feels like a lot of times, right, we're going to do the same thing, right? People will put down a liturgical church because everything they do is on paper. You know, I once heard it said the only difference in the charismatic church and a liturgical church is one has a program and the other one has a program that's memorized. <laughs> we're going to come in, we're going to sing a couple songs, we're going to break, we're going to do announcements, we're going to do offering. We're going to sing a couple more songs. We're going to preach and we're going to try to get everybody to come to the altar. And I'm glad when people respond. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the healing that happens here. And so don't take what I'm saying as a diminishment of what happens in this place. But this is not the end. This is the beginning. And so God does healing. He starts the work and then we have to walk it out out of these doors. When we leave, we got to do some work. We've got to renew our minds. We've got to dig into the word for ourselves. We've got to find out what God says about the situation. We've got to get into Romans and see if we've received the spirit of adoption, if we've truly embraced that and understanding that we're sons and daughters. We don't have to live in fear as if we're going to be slaves again. God has set us free. So our spirits become new, but then our minds have to be renewed. So I was saying I'm less interested in what happens here and more interested in how we walk it out in our lives. This is the starting place. But healing is a lifestyle. It takes time to fully receive the healing that often we need from rejection issues that we've received sometimes as children. I know I used a lot of examples last week talking about rejection, whether it's parents who left or being raised in a single mom home or a single dad home, wondering where your mom or where your dad was, maybe never meeting them. There are all kinds of scenarios, some extreme, some not extreme. Could be as simple as a coach who picked on you when you were a kid or said the wrong word or, you know, I don't know. The scenarios are, scenarios are endless. And I think sometimes in church we're afraid to go down this path because it feels like, again, like we're turning it into some kind of therapy session. Come in, lay down on the couch, tell me how you feel. Like, there's value in that. You know, we, we've diminished it as if you did that, you're less spiritual. But God made us three parts, spirit, soul, and body. And sometimes we need professional help to deal with this part. 
I only say that to say, if you're in a place where you're like, you know what, I feel like I do need counseling. I don't do counseling. I can do the spiritual part. But it's okay to, to seek that out. Find a good godly counselor that will speak God's truth into your life and help you renew your mind. We love him because he first loved us. And until we fully receive his love, it'll be difficult for us to love others and to love God. We're going to be shifting this series into the loving our neighbor portion in the next week or two. But man, I just want us to love God first. And I hope that over these first few weeks of this series that you've been challenged to at least be introspective and ask those questions, do I love God the way that I'm supposed to? The way that he calls me to, which is complete abandon, abandonment of self. Remember, instead of praying, God, fill me, it's pray, we're praying, God, empty me so that you can fill me. Would you bow your heads all across the room? On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.